you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Let's hear the Word of God together. Romans 15, 1 through 13, in your copies of God's Word, hear these words. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and that through endurance and that through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glory God, glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abide in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, you, you may see uh, in this section a continuation from last week of caring for one another. There's a couple of different people, the strong and the weak in this church. There's people who are strong in their faith and weak in their faith. And we want to be careful we don't destroy uh, those dear believers. And so Paul looks at the strong now and says, you have an obligation you have a responsibility with strength, with power comes responsibility uh, to bear with the failings of the weak and to uh, not to please uh, ourselves. So there's obligations on you. Now, uh, there are obligations in, in our faith, and I, I, we need to be honest about that. There are expectations that the Lord has for us. Uh, you see some churches who will say things like, all are welcome. Doctrine divides, we just, we don't care what you believe, we just love everybody, okay? And I ask you, what's the problem with that philosophy of ministry? Doctrine divides, we don't care about doctrine here, we just love everybody. So all are welcome. And I say, the problem with that is twofold. Number one, that itself is a doctrinal statement. That if you think, you're, if you're allergic to doctrine, you say doctrine divides, so just love everyone, that is a doctrine. That is a statement of what is true, and, and it's a dogmatic statement, in fact. And secondly, it doesn't work just to welcome everyone without regard to doctrine. The history of the Presbyterian Church USA, the history of the Episcopal Church in America, and all progressive Christianity has gone poorly. Uh, when, when you adopt a philosophy uh, of doctrine is fluid and not established, and that uh, we need to just welcome people 
no matter what, uh, in, a, in a statement of doctrine divides, uh, no, uh, Scripture is our guide. And here's the thing. Why would we have a, a, you know, a philosophy of ministry of we just need to welcome everyone off the street no matter what and don't get so tied up in doctrine? We might be believing that it is our job as a church to change people by accepting people no matter their doctrine of life. And we don't want to put any obstacle in their way. Now, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, that for the weak, he became like the weak or to win the weak. So we must be wise about who we are dealing with. We must know who we're dealing with and become weak. Uh, but that does not mean be weak in doctrine and know-nothings, ignorant of the, of the mysteries of the gospel. Uh, we are to uh, become like them in giving up our strength. Those who have strength, give it up for those who have none that we might uh, win them and build them up. Now, particularly we're talking about our neighbor. And it says in verse 2, let us, each of us, please our neighbor for this is good. Your job is to tell your neighbor truth and to accurately reflect who Christ is. Because you can't change anybody. I can't change anybody. None of us can change anyone. We just accurately uh, present the truth. You want to know who the best person in the history of the world was besides Jesus? It was John the Baptist. Jesus said so. He was the most Christ-like uh, person in the history of the world. What was his example? Could he change people by his Christ-like character or by his welcome? No. He actually was, uh, he ended up with his head chopped off on a plate for the amusement of his enemies. He spoke truth and it did not uh, serve him well because he offended. Uh, John was the best living example of Jesus known to history according to Jesus and he got his head chopped off. Uh, we are not, we're, we're, to, we're to imitate Christ's example. Where did Christ go? He went to the cross for the sake of others. Uh, and we're to draw strength on that. And never to divorce the bare example of who, what Christ did in his life from its meaning scripturally. What did it mean? Its meaning is vital to our being willing to give to others and please our neighbor, not ourself. So he, he's, he's going to say to us, we must understand that God grants every good gift, every gift of repentance, every good gift of glory, and he's going to make us a unified people. It says in, in 6 that together we're going to, with one voice, glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's going to sovereignly make that happen. We're going to live in, as verse 5 says, the God of endurance and encouragement is going to grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with the example of Jesus that we're going to gather together and sing with one voice to the Father in glory. And that's, that's why unity is a big deal. That's a big deal. We're made to sing in harmony, to be a part of one choir, if you will. And to, and to do so, that means we're going to have to, to, to give so for the sake of others, so we can be one. Now, have you considered uh, what you value the most and if it is that? Because that's what he says we need to do. Uh, have you considered what you would do if you had only so much time left on this earth? What would you do if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? Would you work for the unity of the church? <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you try to say, what can I do to make 
every single person, uh, the best I can, with all that I'm responsible for, to sing with one voice in harmony to the glory of God. Is that what you would do? I, I, I'd be honest, I don't think that would be like the first thing on my mind. Uh, but this is what he's saying. Because we know Christ, we, we're, we're, to, we're to be about becoming one as one body. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, the cool thing about Jesus, is the, he's the only one who has ever lived who knew his expiration date. He knew that he was going to Jerusalem to die. He knew when it was going to happen. He knew all of this. Yet he, what did he do? Uh, what did he elect to do knowing that his date of his death was the next day? He spent most of his time with his disciples, eating with them, speaking with them, instructing them, washing their feet, expressing what their purposes were for the sake of the kingdom. And then the remainder of his time was spent in prayer, just him and God. And and that's recorded for us in John 17. As the minutes are ticking away in his life, He's praying what's known as the high priestly prayer in the 17th chapter of John. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 17, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And in verse 20 and 21, it says, second time, I do not ask for these only, but for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. And then thirdly, in verse 22 of chapter 17 of John, it says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And that's a remarkable prayer, right? You know, this is, this is like the, the dying day of Jesus. You consider the uh, amazing array of important things he could be praying for, and what was on his mind he's praying for is that they may be one. The oneness of the church was supremely important. In verse 23 says, I and them and you and me that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. John 17. This is going to be hugely important for this church. This church is through God's providence started out as a mainly Jewish church, then those uh, Jewish believers, uh, meaning they, they converted from Jude- Judaism and Jewish, Jewish heritage to Christianity, and then they were evicted out of Rome, and it became a predominantly Gentile church, Gentile believers who had become uh, believers in Christ. And uh, these, these two factions, these two cultural factions, we've talked about in the previous weeks how they, they read different scriptures. They read Greek and Hebrew, and they, they, did, they had different cultural customs, and so there's a tendency to, and they had a tendency to, to judge each other on what they ate, or what they drank, or uh, you know, what days they considered to be set apart, and in all these things, there's a, there's a tendency to hold grudges against one another and to be divided. You know, uh, it, quickly in Rome, they're going to be in danger of, of some real out external uh, situations that are going to be dangerous uh, for them, like like, there's going to be, there's a lot of people who were fed to lions in the Colosseum. That's documented. Christians who were fed to lions in Rome. This very, uh, you know, descendants of this church here. 
uh, and then uh, who Paul's writing to, and there was uh, Christians who were uh, tied to stakes and, and set on fire in order to, to be nightlights for uh, Nero in his garden. Uh, these are real, uh, real people, real Christians. And how do you think they got there? Uh, traitors. You know, who's a Christian? They're given up by somebody, right? You know, uh, somebody wasn't defending them. There's, there's, a, there's a situation of like, uh, there's, there had to be some disunity there. You know, if, if we don't take uh, God's word to heart, we're going to terribly fail at defending and pleasing our brother for his good as Christ has set a duty on us here. You know, uh, there's a, it's, it's often that we don't uh, even have uh, big, big uh, things to quibble about, but we will squabble about uh, minor things that are not doctrinally important or even significant at all. Uh, yeah, there's a story I heard that's fun, kind of funny uh, about a, a church. There, two churches are going to become one. And one of the churches, uh, you know, was a small church and struggling, and, and the other church was small church and struggling. It's a great idea. They're going to become one. They get together to hash it out, and the worship doesn't go well. Uh, one of the churches was insistent on the Lord's Prayer saying, uh, you know, forgive us of our trespasses. The other one was, was insistent on the, the Lord's Prayer that had debts. Uh, like they couldn't come together on that. That's, the, that's a real story. Uh, and, and the situation was that they're like, that's the way we pray. That's the way you pray. We're not going to pray the same. We're, if we're not praying the same, we're not going to join together. And, and it's uh, funny, uh, the story goes that the local newspaper reported one church went back to its trespasses while the other church returned to its debts. And they ended up <laughs> apart with their debts and with their trespasses. Uh, you know, uh, you know we, we, we see in, in, in this chapter here that, that, that what is uh, supremely important is that we, uh, we don't uh, work to please ourselves, but we give in order to build up. We bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Uh, we're talking about dis- over disputable matters, what to eat, what to drink, what days. Uh, those are disputable matters, and we'll give grace to those who don't have the freedom that we have as the strong, uh, because we, we can't change anybody. Uh, we're going to give God the, uh, the leeway to lead them along, understanding that if we compromise on uh, the gospel, or if we... Uh, crush them into thinking that their justification or their standing with God is rooted in faith plus some kind of conformity to, to, and disputable matters, then we're going to crush somebody. Uh, I like to think of it, we're either intentionally leading people and all people to faith in Christ, including ourselves, or we're rather unintentionally leading everyone we know, including ourselves, to legalism. This is where we're going to go. This is vitally important that we bear with one another we lead them to Christ, and we lead ourselves back to Christ. And that's why the, 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 the points here are about Christ, his offering. As you look at verse 3, it says, as we're talking about building one another for good and, and pleasing our neighbor, it says, for Christ did not please himself, but it's written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. And so Paul puts the words of Psalm 69, verse 9, on the lips of Jesus and says, the reproaches of those who approached you, God, fell on me. So I endured uh, what the offenses that were for you in my body. That's the example. Strength denotes this obligation to do the same. We're to be the ones who take on reproaches 
for others uh, and endure those things. Uh, and, that the, that, and how do we do that? Well, the, the Scripture is going to inform us about Christ. Just look at verse 4. Look at this verse. It's amazing. For whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It's saying the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the things written are for our instruction. That through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We don't just punt on Scripture. Scripture is the very means that we will have encouragement and endurance. And it says that together you may with one voice there, or it says the God of endurance and encouragement. Who is that? The paraclete, the helper, the spirit, who will grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with the example of Christ. That we will do this. So the word of God, empowered by the spirit, is going to be our key to being a unified whole, one body, singing with one voice. Now, what does Paul mean when he says a strong person uh, shouldn't please himself but please his neighbor for his good? A pleasant church full of people pleasing their neighbors is what Paul is after. He doesn't mean that we should, you know, never be uh, seeking pleasure. God made things pleasurable for our good, in their design, according to their design. But what, what should we be doing? We shouldn't be treating our neighbor as someone for our pleasure, right? Or fearing our neighbor's judgment so we will uh, massage the way we treat him, to manipulate him, to think better of ourselves because so that, that, that pleases us. You know, so we, we, we will consider what is going to actually be good for our neighbor rather than our own good. You see what I'm saying? There's a million ways we would do this poorly if we're not intentionally trying to uh, not do it uh, because we uh, are called to love our neighbor as ourself. Why is that the way it's described in Scripture? Because we unconsciously love ourselves and we, we favor ourselves in all things. And so we, what we must do is look to the example of Jesus who didn't favor himself in all things. Uh, that is the example. Now, that is the, it's the very salvation that we have in Christ. He did it all perfectly for us. But it's also here used as an example for our meditation. We are not to seek men's approval or women's approval, uh, but we're to seek their good. We're going to sacrifice whatever is necessary for the good of our neighbor, like Jesus. And what's pleasing others that Paul enjoins them to do uh, is to it's determined by uh, whatever we can contribute to the spiritual good of that person. Whatever you have to give in the specific context, the specific person next to you is what is called. Now, um, we we got we to consider our lifestyle. Um, you've made a decision today to attend a worship service, to join a church, uh, maybe, and, and become... Uh, linked and yoked with other believers uh, to bless them. Uh, that is a selfless situation. You're not coming here for yourself, honestly. You're coming here for Christ and for his people. Uh, you, are, you, are, you are engaging in that. Uh, when you um, make time in the week to attend a church fellowship event or a Bible study with the church uh, folks, uh, you are uh, seeking the good of others. Uh, you're seeking the good of your neighbor, right? Uh, 
when you put your phone away and encourage uh, your children or family to pray and encourage them with, uh, with the gospel. Uh, you are seeking to please not yourself but others. Uh, you, you might not feel like you have the time to pray, but I would say uh, you, you say you can't afford it, but I'm saying you, you can't afford not to. This is like the most vital thing that you could be doing. And that's Jesus' example as he's praying for the good of all to be unified in one voice, uh, praising the Father of mercies. Uh, this is our calling. Our earthly life uh, is culminated in, in our Lord and what he has done. He is our salvation, and He is our example. And it's, as He says in verse 3, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. And He's rejected. All of His life rejected. As we read in Psalm, I mean, in Isaiah 53 earlier, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Uh, the reproaches of God were placed upon Jesus. Uh, and he says in Philippians 2, Paul does elsewhere, in 2.2, he says that you, Philippians, are to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, again, the same word of, in verse 6, in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, I, I, the, the Pharisees and the Old Testament understanding of what loving your neighbor meant was, you know, just don't hate, or, or, you know, like, just, like, just love the people that are, that are good to you and hate your enemies. Uh, you know, it's like, 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 hate, like, it's love the people that are your neighbors and, and hate your enemies. That's what they actually said. Jesus said that's what they've interpreted this as. But he says, no, 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 no. Pray for your enemies. Uh, put them above yourself. Uh, the, the statement here is that we're to care about our neighbor in ways that are way beyond what we would assume. We're to love them in a higher position than we care for ourselves. We're to pray for them. Uh, Christ is, is a supreme example of that. He says uh, of Christ to follow that, that calling, which is, again, let each of you not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. In Philippians 2, 4, it says, have this mind, in, in verse 5 of Philippians 2, have this mind of yourselves, which is in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For what was written in former days was written for instruction that, through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope is what it says in verse 4. We have to go to Philippians 2. We have to go to Ephesians 4. We have to go to Isaiah 53. We have to go here and see Christ is our example. He teaches us how to do this. I'll never forget the, uh, growing up, I always hated to do squats, like those exercises that are just ridiculously hard and hurt. And, and you know, I'll never forget, like, actually, like, learning to do them right was important. Uh, you know, because if you just think about it, you're like, okay, I need to bring my body down to the ground. So what's the most easy way to do that, right? Well, it's just to, to lean down like this. When I lean down like this and my knees go forward, that's going to put tension on my knees, though. And I learned that what I was doing was the exact wrong thing I needed to be doing. I didn't need to be pushing my knees forward. I needed to be pushing my hips back. 
when I started to do it that way, I started to feel no pain, and my, and my muscles got stronger, and things felt better. Okay, so you see, so, so there's a slight change of, of perspective here. What I'm talking about is I've thought that service was, was, was about me, you know, like I serve as convenient, you know, and, and when, it's, when, it's, when it's, you know, convenient for me. But no, no, service is that direction that we're made to do. Like, we're, we're made to, to fall away from our own needs and to fall towards the needs of others. And that's actually what's going to bring us encouragement and endurance, not the vice versa, you know, not, not seeking ourselves and our own pleasure. Uh, this, is, this is exactly the wrong thing we should be, we, we, we sort of default go towards. The default is just, just get down as quick as possible, so I move my knees forward, knee pain, bad news, doesn't help. Backwards. It's backwards. It's moving backwards versus moving forward toward what I want uh, in the easy path. The backwards way is the way. Now, he says here in verse 5 that this, this endurance and encouragement is going to be granted by God. We do it his way because that's how he works. He works as we serve one another, as we give up our own needs for the sake of others. That's how it happens. That's how we, he transforms us. Maybe you decide to go on a, a short-term mission trip. Maybe you decide to, to, to start some kind of ministry. Maybe you serve in the Sunday school, and week after week you teach and you, and you lead, and you don't feel like it's doing anything, but you're giving your time and you're preparing. It's like it, it, it's the way that God changes you. It's the way he changes other people. You serve. Uh, and the apostle understands that worship is meant to lead to unity, and that's going to come through our giving up ourselves and foregoing our legitimate rights. We have all kind of freedom to do whatever we want, but we give up that freedom for the sake of those who are weaker all the time. That's what we are called to do. And that's what Romans 12, 1 through 2 began this section of saying is that we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. We sacrifice for the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're to welcome one another, as he says in verse 7. Paul says, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's think about that. He welcomes us as he welcomes these Gentiles in the following verses. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of, of all of these verses, but it's important to note that he speaks of the welcome of the Gentiles from all of the scriptures. He uses Moses' writings in Deuteronomy. He uses the Psalms. He uses Isaiah the prophet. He's using all three sections of the Hebrew scriptures to say this is who our God is. He welcomes the Gentiles. Now, why is welcoming the Gentiles a big deal? Well, if you don't know, there are places in the Gospels where the Gentiles are referred to as dogs. And now, dogs are not a, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a fun companion in the culture, but they're scavengers. Uh, scavengers. They, 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 uh, there's a dead body out there in the, in, the, in, the, in the world, and they will go scavenge the bodies. Uh, they're not pets. They're not lovable they're like detestable. Uh, they are contemptible. And, and, and he says, what he's going to say, he's going to say, I'm going to call them my people, and they're going to bring glory to God. He's going to bring back the lost sheep. He's going to bring back the ones who are not chosen and not his people to be his people. They're the wild olive tree, as Romans 11 says, who don't bear fruit, and now they're going to bear fruit. They're going to be grafted into the root of Jesse as it says there. And the root, when the root is good, the fruit is going to be good. So you're going to, be, you're going to have all these contemptible, detestable sinners, the nations who are going to be brought in to the root, and they're going to bear all this fruit. That's what he said is the whole Bible's message here. And that's going to bring joy. Now, as you consider uh, you know, that Jesus is the example of this, 
He does this so that we may know what it's like. Now, I'm going to give you one example of where Jesus teaches this clearly when he uses a parable in Luke 10 to speak about who a neighbor is. It says in in, uh, verse 2 of our passage here, Romans 15, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In Luke 10, 25, an expert in the law comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And he says, whatever's written in the law, how do you read it? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor yourself. So Jesus plays along with that and says, okay, you've answered correctly. So saying that's true, do this and you will live. 29. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now Jesus enters into the story in response to that question, who is my neighbor? And listen to what he says. Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, this is, a, this is a road that is not really like a, it's not like Lindsay. You know, it's not like I-35. It's a, it's a deserted wilderness road. It's very long. It's very hard traveling. It's up and down. It's on foot. And it is, the sun's beating down on you. And it's very narrow uh, and it's, it's not like you think of when you think of wide roads here. It's like this, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's dangerous. He says, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers. Common thing. You've got to worry about predators. You've got to worry about criminals. And he fell among robbers. They stripped him. They beat him and he departed. And they departed from him, leaving him half dead. So the robbers take his stuff, beat him, they leave him half dead. 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, like, he has to, like, step over this guy. I've always read it as, like, okay, like, he just, like, it's like, he's on Lindsay. He's like, okay, that guy's over there. I'm just going to move on this lane. No, like, he has to literally step over the groaning, beat-up man. Like, that's a fascinating point about this story. Like, he, there's, a, there's a, it's a narrow road, and he's on it. And he, like, you think anybody's going to help him, it's going to be a, a priest. He's a righteous man. So he doesn't do it. He goes along the other side, passes by. Then, okay, so where's going to help? That 32, a Levite comes also. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on their side. Same problem. The Levite does the same thing. Levite, very holy guy, you know, Israelite, great. But then it says a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he had saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the calling. Now, let's talk about five specific ways that Jesus showed mercy. and I mean, the neighbor showed love here to this neighbor. Uh, selfless love that I think might fire up our imaginations. Number one, he showed love despite no one seeing it. You know, we have little uh, little stickers we put on the back of our minivans that say, terrific kid, when we do anything. We get a little sticker, and we get recognition. Now, but there's going to be no recognition. There's no vans, no minivans driving by on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Again, it's a desolate area. No one's going to see this mercy, Right? You know, the priests and the Levites don't stop because they've got better things to do. This man stops. No one sees it. No one's going to know about it. 
and he does these actions on an unknown, lightly traveled position. People are scared to go on, and he does it. He gives right there. He puts himself at rest there. Despite anonymity, he shows love to this weaker brother, the one who's beaten up. He, despite no one's going to give him any credit. Number two, he shows love despite risk. This is a lengthy trip. He's on a dangerous road. Any, any delay is going to cause him to be more likely to be robbed or, or a predator to come. He's going to show love despite risk. When you, when you have difficult people in your church community, in your neighbor, as your, as your neighbor, uh, there's going to be risk to you. This is, this is just the nature of it. You're going to be at risk. It may, you may lose uh, something for the sake of loving the weaker. Third, he showed love by surrendering a portion of his supplies. Now remember, this is a very long, arduous road, up and down. A lot of elevation changes and very hot, dry. And so you only, you only brought enough water that you could carry, like hiking, right? You, you, know, it's like you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to underdo it. You want just the right amount, just the right amount of supplies. So he takes his supplies, uh, the ointment and the water and food that are his, intended for him, and he gives them to the man. It says in 34, he bound him up, poured oil and wine on there, and set him on his animal and took him into the inn to care for him. You know, that's a big deal. He's going he's gonna to potentially starve himself and, and be dehydrated and possibly die himself taking care of and saving this guy. He's giving away essential items. I don't know if you noticed that. These are essential to his life, the water and the food and the oil. He needs these things. Uh, the, not just the things that he could afford to lose. These are necessary things. That's what, that's what we're talking about here, necessary things that we think we can't lose. Uh, he showed love despite it costing him physical discomfort. Uh, you know, he's going to have to put this guy on his donkey and carry him. Why did he bring the donkey in the first place? Because it's a hard trip. It's going to be arduous. It's going to be tough. And he's, there's only like three places you can stop. There's like the very middle. If he's past that, he's got to go back. There's, the, there's the, the, the beginning. He's got to go back to the beginning, or he can go all the way to the end. There's only three places to stop. Now, now with that said, it's going to cause him a lot of discomfort. It's going to delay him, and it's going to demand that he goes out in the heat. And he puts the man on his donkey, right? And, and it's going to show love despite cost of time and money. Like I said, he's, it's, he, he had a plan. We don't know what his plan was, but it wasn't to stop. It wasn't to take time and great, great cost himself to delay his travel uh, plans. You know, when a, when a plane flight gets canceled, we, we lose our stuff. You know, but this guy is like, I've got to, uh, I've got to be somewhere, but no. He sees a man, he's hurt, he's going to stop. And it cost him great money, too. You see, he, he gives him two days' wages of a laborer there, two denarii, and then he leaves an open account with the innkeeper to say, whatever it demands, whatever's demanded, I will pay it so that this man can get back to health and, be, and recover. That's how we should love our neighbor, extravagantly, uh, like this guy, the Good Samaritan, right? Well, who is the Good Samaritan? Uh, he's the one that's the undesirable one, right? He's Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. There's only been one Good Samaritan. It's Jesus. He's the one that no one looks at. He's the one that, as Isaiah 53 says, they despise, they don't desire. And he's the one who gives sacrificially, gives of his essence, gives of all that he is, at great cost to him for our sake. And 1 John 3 says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that a murderer has, uh, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. By this we know love, though, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is the word. We're to love in deed and truth. Not just in talk, but doing things. Giving. And so Jesus' sympathy uh, to those who are weak here is that he knows us in our weaknesses. And he knows what we need even when no one else knows. And we can pray to him and he provides. It may be someone in your church who is going to provide for that very need. But you ultimately are not relying, you're not a victim here, relying on other people to take care of you in your suffering, your weakness. You have God. You have the Lord of all who has given all things for you, is reigning over all things, and is sympathetic. You have a high priest who cares and knows. He knows what you need. And so you're not a victim here. That's the wrong sort of attitude when you're weak and you're in need. You have an opportunity to bless someone else as you pray and as others meet your needs. Uh, the, the, it says uh, that Christ, uh, it says the, the law uh, appoints men, this is Hebrews 7, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the, prophet, than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We have a perfect priest who makes us perfect, who is working for us, a mediator of better covenant, reigning and ruling. And it says the law made, never made anyone perfect. Your, your obedience to the law never made anyone perfect, never made you perfect, but you have a better hope for which you can draw near to God in Christ. Someone who has put you and your needs above themselves. Mark 10, 45 says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The Gentiles' rulers, they lord over everyone with their, with their power and their strength, right? But we have the Lord of all, the King of all, who needs nothing. He gives up of all things for our sake. You know, this is going to, like, I, I love our church. I think we do pretty good at loving people. We could always do better, you know, uh, and we want to thank the Lord when we see this. We don't want to always be like, oh, man, we got to do better. We got to really just, like, we got to fully do this. But, like, we do need to thank the Lord for the good we see in our church, that, that all the good, we, all the sacrifices, all the cares, all the, all the needs that are met in our church are God's grace. We need to th mention those mercies in our prayers, and we need to ask the Lord to, to give us more, to help us to be more. He will do so. He'll make us sing with one accord. Yes. And sometimes it's going to take leadership. It's going to take somebody who's going to step out and lead on what that looks like. Um, there's a, there's a, a former uh, yeah, Robert E. Lee. There's a Robert E. Lee story. I'm going to close with this. I think it's appropriate. The pastor of Robert E. Lee sees him in Lexington. In his former day, in his late days of his life, is he's, he's in Lexington. He's working as a president of a college, Washington Lee. And, he, and he's, you know, kind of hated. He's, kinda, he's, a, he's wrong, on the wrong side of the conflict, right? The pastor of his church sees him out in the middle of the courtyard there in Lexington, Virginia, and he sees a veteran, and he, and, he, and he gives him some money. This veteran's in need. So Robert E. Lee is giving him money. And so he said, you know, what, uh, which command did he serve under? This man that you saw there. You know him? You know, Lee replied, oh, he's one of the ones who fought against us. But we all are one now, and it makes no difference in our treatment of them. Hey, that's just a great line. He fought against me. But we're all one now, and our treatment matters not where we came from.
we're united in the grace of God, what we were before matters not. The blood of Christ is the unifying principle here. The righteousness of Christ is the unifying, unifying principle here. Uh, that we will all glorify God. As you see the final words of this text, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That is our hope, <laughs> not that we can well it up in our si- inside of us, but the God of hope will fill us with the joy, will fill us with the endurance, will fill us with the courage, will fill us with the hope, will fill us with the peace, and all of these things, that he might make us a pleasant church, a pleasing church to him that will please the other and ourselves. Becoming a gospel-expressing church in word and in deed, that is what will please the Lord as we asked that question earlier. Uh, what are we called to be a pleasing church, a pleasant church? 